Psalm 150 says this, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's the conclusion of the book of Psalms. And so all those instruments that were mentioned there, trumpet sound, lute, harp, bass guitar, guitar, uh, anything you want to add in there? Last Sunday we added in chainsaws, okay? And so we praise God uh, with the sound of chainsaws, and it's a little quieter this morning. You know, last Sunday was one of those weird Sundays for me. At about 10.30, I looked at my clock, and I'm sitting there driving the skid steer, and I thought, this has got to be the weirdest Sunday for a pastor ever. I wasn't behind a pulpit, wasn't talking to people, but I was working uh, in somebody's yard and, and glad to do it alongside so many of you. Um, you know, it's been a weird couple of weeks. Uh, the last time we gathered with our full group in person was actually three weeks ago today, uh, I believe. And so um, grateful to be back. Um, I want to show you a couple things as we get into Matthew chapter 9. So if, you're, if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 9. Um, but when you look at this picture, what do you see? What do you see? You see the picture of Hurricane Ida, right? The, the satellite image of the hurricane. Uh, and you might say, I am so tired of looking at that picture uh, or of things that happen because of that picture. Uh, please take it off the screen. Um, you know, two weeks ago today, that storm rolled through our area, um, and it was interesting to me. I think I mentioned this in our online worship for that Sunday, the, the short message that I gave online. Our text for that day was the end of Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus stilled a great storm. Um, and so when you look at that picture, you probably see a great storm that's affected all of us for these last couple of weeks and is going to continue to affect all of us uh, in the days ahead. Let me show you another picture. So what do you see when you see this picture? When you look at this picture, what do you see? See an upside down birdhouse, right? So when I look at that picture, I see a birdhouse that's in our, in our front yard. Um, my son Gus put that together as a little craft project one time. We hung it up uh, in the yard in the spring. Bluebirds came, made their nests, had babies. Uh, it was a beautiful thing swinging from one of our crepe myrtle trees. Well... Uh, last week I returned home, uh, I think on Wednesday, came back from our evacuation. Uh, of course, there's limbs and everything scattered everywhere. And one of the first things I saw in the front yard was this birdhouse just laying on the ground uh, upside down. Kind of made me think that's a little bit of a picture of the aftermath of a storm, right? The aftermath of the storm. It felt like everything was upside down. We were disoriented. Nothing was the way it should have been. Uh, you couldn't find electricity couldn't find gas. Uh, hopefully you had enough food if you were still here. But you know, I think it was Saturday last week. So the day before we gathered to serve. So by this point, I was a seasoned veteran, right? I bought myself my first generator, brought it back from Birmingham, hooked it up, did the whole thing where you fill it up, you have to let it rest. Uh, so finally, I had my routine worked out by Saturday morning. So I, I set it, got up in the morning, my generator was still running, I made my coffee before I turned off the generator, okay, that was key, somebody told me how to do that. So I made my coffee, then I had to shut this generator off to let it rest, okay, that's something else I learned, you have to let these generators rest. So I sit down out on the front porch, um, and I'm sitting there with my Bible, I'm just going to have a little bit of quiet time, it's been a busy week, 
You kind of take a breath from that deafening roar of the generator. Anybody else get kind of tired of that this week? Uh, that roar of the generator is quiet, other than the other 20 that were around me from my neighbor's houses. But at least the close one was quiet. And I'm sitting there on the porch swing, and I look out in the front yard, and I see that birdhouse laying there. And I think, um, and I just said to God, God, what do you want to say to me today? And I'm about to open up my Bible. And before I could even open the Bible, it was so interesting. A bird in the backyard just started singing at the top of its lungs. And I thought, that's amazing. (laughs) Amazing timing. Uh, Because here I am looking at that upside down birdhouse. Everything's just off. My yard's still a mess. I didn't clean up the yard till the kids came home. Uh, So I've learned a few things in my time as a parent. Um, But uh, everything's a mess. And I said, God, what do you want to say to me? And immediately... A bird starts singing. And I think that little picture, of course, God spoke to me from his word in the moments following that. But that picture of seeing the birdhouse upside down, hearing the bird singing at the top of its lungs, made me think it is possible to worship and praise God in the middle of the storm or after the storm, which is what we've done here this morning. Uh, And so uh, what a beautiful thing. Let me show you one more picture from my front porch. So what do you see when you see the, when you look at this picture? You see a sunrise. The sun's coming up through the trees. But what you see is actually the bigger picture. Because actually down at the bottom of one of those crepe myrtles is where that, that birdhouse is laying. And the bigger picture is that the sun is coming up. God is creating new things even out of this storm. And so today, as we get into Matthew chapter 9... What I want us to see is that God says, when you look at this passage, he says, I want you to see something. I want you to see something really important in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. When you look at the passage, it's kind of like this. What do you see when you look at it? And I think we're going to see some really important truths that God wants us to go away with. And the big one is this. This comes from Matthew 4 that sums up the ministry of Jesus. It says, and he healed them. So we've been here in Matthew chapters 8 and 9, and there's been several different miracles, several different stories of healing. And we're going to look at a really key one today. And I think there's a lot in here that God wants us to see. In fact, uh, both chapters, Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9, have a lot of words of seeing and knowing and noticing. And so as we read through these verses today... Pay attention to what you think God wants you to see as if you were just kind of sitting there as an eyewitness. What is it that he wants you to see, both in the event, but also in the words of Scripture? So let's look at these verses together. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. It says this, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith... He said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. This is the word of the Lord. 
He healed them. This morning, what we want to look at is making sure that we see God at work, that we see God at work. And really, like I said, this passage is all about seeing. Uh, God wants us to see something extraordinary, and he wants us to respond in an extraordinary way. So let me just show you another little picture of the whole passage. Notice all those words in red in the passage. Um, those are all words that come from the same Greek root that means look or see or notice. Okay, the word is, I'm going to give you a Greek lesson this morning. One word, it's horao. And it gets broken down in different ways, and it's translated in all those different ways. Every one of those red words means to look, to know, to notice, to see. And so we're going to see clearly, I think, this morning, a message that God wants to give us through this miracle. In fact, I would say, as we look at this story, and I ask you, what do you see? I would hope that we see five different things that God wants us to notice. And so uh, let's just start with the first one, and it's at the very beginning of the story in verses 1 and 2. Uh, here it is. It's see the problem. Okay, that's the first step in getting help from Jesus is to see the problem. So if you read this story back in verse 1 or verse 2, it says, And behold, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. So in this story, it's really easy to see what the problem is. Everyone else saw the problem. They walk in. In fact, you've probably seen this. In fact, uh, yesterday, uh, we were watching a few documentaries on 9-11. And I don't care which documentary it was. If, if they were showing pictures of people running, if there was ever somebody being carried on a stretcher, it just kind of grabs your attention, right? Uh, at least that's true for me. You can imagine that in Jesus' day, uh, we know that these, it says that these people brought a man to Jesus who was lying on his bed. So they're walking in with a stretcher, basically, a guy who's paralyzed. You could clearly see what the problem was. This guy could not walk. Attention was drawn to him. Uh, if you want a few more details or another perspective on the story, read Mark 2 later today. Uh, Mark 2 tells us, we believe it's the same account, uh, that these four guys actually brought the sick man in took him up on the roof and broke a hole in the roof and let him down right in front of Jesus. Um, but that's what's happening. There was a problem, a real problem, a physical problem, a visible problem that you could see, and these men brought this guy to Jesus so that he could help fix the problem. So notice the challenge, notice the problem. That word, uh, verse 2, it says, behold. In other words, notice this. Pay attention. Whenever you see that word in Scripture, behold, that means you're supposed to take note of whatever it's talking about. Behold, this paralytic. So here's a question for you this morning. When you look at the world around you, you look at your life, what problem do you see? Or problems is probably the more accurate way to say that these days. What problems do you see? You know, it's uh, the big one in front of us right now is this storm that came through. Hurricane Ida, right, created a lot of problems, a lot of issues that we have to overcome. The storm. Uh, what other problems do you see? Here's the other thing. Oftentimes a storm that comes through, not only does it create problems, it reveals problems that were already there, doesn't it? You see that happening a lot in our lives. Uh, that might be something like you are already struggling a little bit financially, and now all of a sudden you can't go to work because work is going to be closed for two weeks. You might have a physical sickness or illness, and now you can't get your medication. That's a problem. Maybe you've been struggling with COVID, and all of a sudden now the house is hot, and it's even harder to breathe than it was. 
Or here's another problem that are sometimes re- is revealed by a storm like this. And that would be marriage problems, right? Uh, it's funny. Uh, Sarah and I for years have done pre-marriage counseling together. We love doing that. And so decided that as long as we're here in Louisiana, which we hope is a long time because I hate, hate moving, we're going to add a session to our pre-marriage counseling, and that's going to be how to get along after a hurricane, okay? Because <laughs> I've talked to many of you all different ages. Uh, it's a challenge being in a house with no air conditioning, sometimes no running water. Um, and so, again, the storm can reveal communication or other problems in your marriage. Which, by the way, uh, maybe the storm has pointed some of these things out to you. Um, if you need to talk about things in your marriage or want to talk about things in your marriage, just come for a checkup. Uh, I'd love to talk to you. Miguel would love to talk to you. Uh, we can connect you to other people who love to talk through things like this. And, uh, you know, it's just an opportunity, again, that sometimes a storm shines the spotlight on things that were already there, problems that were already there. What problems do you see? You know, if you look at the wider world around us, right, there was an earthquake in Haiti that probably most of us have forgotten about because of the hurricane that came through here. Uh, There's flooding in the Northeast. There's political things going on. Afghanistan, you know, we we were really praying and focusing on our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan leading up to this storm. Those problems are still there. In fact, I would just say this. It's not hard to see the problems out there in the world. And I would also say this, that's not new to 2021. I think that's always been true. There's always problems in the world we live in. We live in a broken world. So when you look at this story in Matthew chapter 9, especially in these first two verses, it's real easy to see what the problem is. This guy's lame. He needs help. He can't walk. Things are not the way it's supposed to be. But what we see in the next couple verses is that Jesus says, I want you to see there's actually a deeper problem. See the deeper problem. Because we can get distracted with all the physical things going on, all the chaos around us, the brokenness in our lives or the brokenness in the lives of people around us. But Jesus says, I want you to see the deeper problem that's going on. And we see that right here in the story. Look at the end of verse 2. And when Jesus saw their faith, he saw that. He said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. See, there's problems you can see, but there's another whole set of problems and really one big problem that you can't see. Everyone around that man could see that he was paralyzed. They could see his paralysis. But no one else, as far as we can tell, noticed the deeper problem except Jesus. So Jesus says to the guy, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. See, this, this, I'm sure some people that were in the audience there probably were thinking, wait, wait, don't you see this guy can't walk? Why don't you help him with what he, what's wrong, you know? And, uh, and so probably some people thought, uh, Jesus, you're helping him with something he doesn't need help with. Uh, maybe you've heard this story. There's an old African fable called the monkey and the fish. Okay. So there's a monkey that's sitting on the bank of a river that's drying up and the water in the river is getting lower and lower and lower. And he sees this fish in a little puddle of water just struggling like everything, trying to survive in that last little bit of water. And so the monkey says, oh, I'll help that fish. Here, let me help you. And he pulls him out and throws him on the dry ground and says, there, now you don't have to drown. And he thought he helped the fish. And so I'm sure there were some people there where Jesus was, where Jesus said these words and they said, Jesus, why did you say that? That's not what he needs. He needs you to heal his legs so he can walk. 
But Jesus says there's a deeper problem. Actually, a more important problem than the physical paralysis. And that's the spiritual paralysis, the spiritual sickness, the spiritual brokenness. Each of us has a lot of problems, a lot of needs in our lives, but there is no need greater than our need for forgiveness of sins. And that's what Jesus shows us in this story. See, Jesus deals with that greatest need first in this situation. He doesn't always do it in that order, but in this situation, he's making a point. I'm going to deal with the greatest need first to emphasize it. But there's a deeper problem, Jesus is saying. Even more than his lameness, his paralysis, there's something even more important that needs to be dealt with. That's his spiritual brokenness, his sin. So I told you storms sometimes reveal other things that are going on, other problems, right? So we have a door on our barn that's been sagging since we've owned the place, all right? So there's this big barn door that swings open, uh, and it was sagging. And so I kept thinking before the storm, I probably just need to kind of shim it up, make it so that it... It doesn't sag down so much. Well, I came back from the storm, go out to feed uh, the animals, and I try to open the door, and it's just completely stuck. And I thought, oh, the wind must have shoved it in. So I'm just pushing on it like crazy. I finally get it to go open, and the whole thing almost collapses. Because at the bottom of the post, termites had eaten through it, okay? And so finally the storm busted out the last little bit, and I realized it's not just that the thing needs to get shimmed up. There's a deeper problem. Those termites were eating at it from the inside out. And before I can fix that outside problem, I've got to fix the inside problem. You see, what Jesus says here is there's a deeper problem. It's a problem of the heart. Because sin is like termites or rot or rottenness, whatever you want to call it, on the inside. It's destroying us. We try to do everything we can to prop ourselves up. But Jesus says there's only one solution to that rottenness, and that's to have your sins forgiven. So do you see the deeper problem in your heart? Do you see the problem of your heart, that your heart is rotting and decaying on its own? And your only hope is to receive forgiveness from Jesus. Romans 3.23, a verse some of you have heard, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are rotten on the inside. All of us are hopeless apart from Jesus. Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each of us to his own way. Thanks be to God, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's through him, through Jesus alone, that we can have this cleansing. So when we look at this story, we want to see the deeper problem. And here's a quote from a scholar. It says this, More important than the healing of the man's body was the cleansing of his heart. And Jesus sees this deeper need. And he makes a point to go out of his way to tell us this is the greatest need that the man has. It says he sees their faith, these people who brought them to Jesus, brought the man to Jesus, and he forgives the man's sin. Little small point of application there. I love this story for that reason. These friends know their friend needs help, and they bring him to Jesus. Bring your friends to Jesus. You're looking around at people with problems in the world today, physical problems and also the spiritual problem. Bring them to Jesus. That might look like bringing them to church. It might look like sitting down with them 
and talking through these things one-on-one. Leading them to Christ. So we see the problem. We see the deeper problem. But we also see in verses 3 and 4 in this story, there's an obstacle. Okay, an obstacle to Jesus working. Uh, And so let's look at these verses. It says this. Behold. So again, pay attention. Here's something Jesus wants you to notice. Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your heart? So let's just pause right there. Isaiah 43, verse 25. What, what made these guys so upset, these religious leaders? Why did they say, this guy is blaspheming? This is outrageous. Why would he say this? Well, what made them so upset? Let me read to you Isaiah 43, verse 25. It says this. This is God speaking. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So in the Old Testament, really all of Scripture makes it clear that there's only one being in the universe, one person in the universe who can forgive sins, and that's God. So when Jesus says to this lame man, hey, your sins are forgiven, those religious leaders, their alarms go off, and they say, this guy's claiming to be God. In fact, if you look at Mark chapter 2, it says that very thing. They actually say, who can forgive sins but God himself? The answer is no one. Only God can forgive sins. So what's the deal here? Jesus says, why do you think evil in your hearts? Jesus says that they are guilty of unbelief. They don't believe that he is able. He says, you doubt that I am God or you doubt that I'm able to forgive and cleanse and set free from sin. So that's the obstacle in their life. And I would just say this, what does unbelief look like in your life? An obstacle, a roadblock to God working. Okay, Today, uh, this week, you probably ran into several of these road closed signs, right? People, uh, the, the cops had the the streets shut down because the power lines were working. So it was closed. You could not get through. And I think what we see in these lives of these religious people, remember, these are the religious people in the story. They don't experience God's working in their life because their unbelief was an obstacle. So what could unbelief look like? I think sometimes when we face a physical problem, we say, well, God doesn't see what's happening here. Maybe he just doesn't notice. Um, I'm not important enough to him, so he doesn't see what's happening. But Scripture tells us that God notices when even a sparrow falls to the ground. So be assured God does know. He does notice. He does see when things happen. So then you might say, well, okay, unbelief could look like you might say in your heart, well, God sees it, but obviously he doesn't care because he's not helping me. Um, that would be an example of unbelief. And sometimes, to be honest, it does feel like that. You read the Psalms. The psalmist expresses doubt. You read the book of Lamentations. It's fine to express your doubts. But what these religious leaders are doing goes beyond that. They're saying it's impossible for that guy to fix this situation. So sometimes we feel that way. We think that God doesn't care. Or another thing we might say, okay, yes, I'll give you God sees and he cares, but he's just not powerful enough to do anything about it. You ever felt that way? If he was really all powerful, he would fix my problem. 
Beware of that kind of unbelief. I would say there's an even more dangerous form of unbelief that I think these religious leaders demonstrate, one that we all fall into from time to time, and that would be the, the, this form of unbelief where we say, I can do this on my own. I've got this. I can fix this problem. If I'm good enough, I'll make God happy and he won't care about my sins. That's the worst kind of unbelief. Really trusting in anything else besides Jesus to provide cleansing and healing is unbelief. That includes yourself. If you think you can be good enough to kind of get by, you're wrong. Scripture tells us that only Jesus can forgive. Only Jesus can cleanse. So their unbelief was a roadblock. It was an obstacle to God working in their lives. What's the opposite of unbelief? Belief, trust, faith. So let's look at this. I think the fourth thing God wants us to see is the solution to this problem. See the solution to this problem. And really what we see is that the solution is the Savior. His name is Jesus. Look at these verses, chapter 9, verse 5. Jesus says, For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? So really, Jesus is asking these religious leaders a rhetorical question. He's saying, which one is it easier for me to just to walk out and say? If I say your sins are forgiven, you guys will never know. Uh, You can't prove they're not. But if I say to this guy, rise up and walk, you're going to be able to see real quick whether I've got the power or not. But I love actually how he does this in verse 6. He says, uh, says, which is easier to say in verse 5? And then verse 6, he says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I'm going to show you a little example here, and I'm going to heal this man. No, that's not what it says, is it? It says, so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. I love how his power and authority just break into the story. And his powerful words, he doesn't even say, here's what I'm going to do. He just does it. He just says it. And his words immediately, verse 7, bring healing. And he rose and he went home. Don't lose the amazing nature of that short little verse. That's the shortest verse in this story. But it shows the power of God. It says he rose and he went home. Jesus spoke. He said, I'm going to show you how you will know that I have power to forgive sins. I'm going to speak the words and this man's going to get up and walk home. And he restores him physically. How he just breaks in. Really, you know, in chapter 8, we saw this a couple of times. When Jesus cast the demons out of the, uh, out of the man, of the, of the men on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, when they're in the great storm on the, on the Sea of Galilee, you see Jesus' amazing power demonstrated. And so here again, he breaks in with his words and says, rise up and walk. And the man who was paralyzed rose up and walked. You see the solution? It's the Savior. His name is Jesus. Know the Savior. Embrace the Savior. I love what Jesus says, so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority on earth. Who's the Son of Man? That's what Jesus calls himself all the way through the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Mark, uh, Gospel of Luke. He calls himself this over and over again. And it's a title that he uses to, to emphasize that, yes, he is a man, he's a human. But if you go back to Daniel chapter 7, 
This is something that was predicted long before Jesus ever arrived. It talks about the one like the Son of Man who will come in glory, one like the Ancient of Days. Basically saying that this promised one is God himself. And when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he's saying, I'm the one who fulfills those promises. I am the God who created the universe, the God of the Old Testament, and I'm here to heal this man physically and spiritually. If you see the Savior, know him, embrace him, walk with him. He wants to give you a restored heart. And in the case of this man, he actually gave him a restored body. God is in the business of restoring hearts. Another one of our mission partners, I love the name of this ministry, No Heart Left Behind, right? Because we're not just about helping people physically. We're about God bringing healing to their hearts. So that's the ministry of, of No Heart Left Behind. God wants to heal and restore the hearts of people. And that only happens through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the one who can take the problems away, bring spiritual healing. It's available to everyone. Here's some verses from Hebrews chapter 12. Again, this idea of looking to the Savior, seeing the Savior as the solution to any problem you have. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look to Jesus. He's your Savior. Trust Him. Walk with Him. Talk with Him. Speak to Him. Listen to Him. Now, here's that picture again. And I asked you before, when you see that picture, what do you notice? Well, it's easy in this picture to notice the sunrise coming through the trees. So often we get caught looking at the broken houses and the limbs and trees that are down and the destruction in our lives, whether it be physical or spiritual. And I think one of the messages of this story is look to the Savior. Walk with him. Look to him daily. Begin that walk by trusting him completely for the forgiveness of your sins. But continue that walk by looking to him every single day, the author and perfecter of our faith. See the Savior. Run to him in faith. See that solution. See, that's the good news, that we can trust Jesus, not ourselves, Tell him you trust him. And he says, I will save you. I will cleanse you. I forgive you from your sins. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, there's only one person in this story, only one person in the whole universe who's able to cleanse from sin, to heal you from your sins. And his name is Jesus. Have you trusted him? This morning, I would just tell you, if, you, if you're not sure, or if you never have, just said, yes, I trust him to take my sins away. Do it today. Come talk to me. Talk to Miguel or someone else, one of our elders. Trust him. And here's something else. If you have trusted him, if you do know the solution, you do know the Savior, bring someone else to him. Introduce one of your friends. Let Jesus physically spiritually restore them 
you know, in the weeks and months ahead, we're going to spend a lot of time helping people restore their property, restore their lives, um, helping them put their lives back together through our partners, Reach Global. But don't miss this. We want to introduce them even more importantly to the spiritual healing, the spiritual restoration that comes through Jesus. In fact, that's the reason we do any of the physical stuff is so we can bring them true spiritual healing. And that comes through our Savior. His name is Jesus. That brings us to the last thing that I think Jesus wants us to see in this story, and that is the result. Look at verse 8. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Did you catch it? Did you see what the result is? It's worship. Worship. Because see, when God sets someone free, his people celebrate that, and they worship it. They worship him. They celebrate and worship. In fact, I would say that as we see these people demonstrating the fear of God, on the one hand, they're kind of afraid because who in the world has this kind of power? But on the other hand, they're drawn to it. That's what the fear of God is. Realizing that this person who loves you is the God of the universe. Worship him. In fact, that's why we gather together on Sunday mornings. In fact, uh, at this point, I want to invite the worship team to join me back on the stage. In just a minute, we're going to close out our service uh, by singing a worship song. But notice that result, verse 8. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. They know Jesus is a man who walks among them. He eats the same food they do. He gets his feet washed just like they do. He sleeps in the same places they do. Jesus came to earth to live among us and to save us. And that's why we praise him. Psalm 66 verse 16 says this, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. This morning we want to praise the Lord together. We want to praise him for his mercy, the way he cleanses us spiritually, and also his power to heal us physically. Will you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for these words. God, thank you for helping us to see what you want us to see. And Lord, I pray that we would lead many to you in the days ahead. God, that we would be a church that's committed to spreading this good news to a world that desperately needs him. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.